Good morning, everybody. My name is Glenn. I'm on staff here at Parkview. And if you're a guest here, I would just like to add my welcome to you as well. We really pray that for everybody that comes here, um, that we leave a little closer to God than before we arrived as a result of being together. I mean, there's something um, the Bible says not to forsake the gathering together um, of the saints. That's those of us who follow Christ. Uh, We're not perfect, but there's something about being together um, that sharpens us and helps us to grow in him. If you've been here for a while, you know that we're in the middle of a series in 1 Peter. Um, So this morning, we're going to continue that series. We're going to look at... um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, if you're going to uh, use the Bible in the chair rack in front of you, that's on page 1220, so I just invite you to open your Bibles with me, um, and as you do, I'm going to pray, give you a little bit of time to turn there, it's all good, you can still turn while I'm praying, um, I don't think God will mind, let's pray. Father, thank you um, for the opportunity to be here together, we um, look forward to Um, allowing you to speak to us. And so, Father, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Pray that you would change us as a result. I pray for um, anyone here who's going through a difficulty right now or maybe has just come out of it. I pray that um, our time together would encourage them and give them new eyes to see. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So in case you're wondering um, why we are going backward, because Ray has already gone through this passage, um, before we started this series, he came in my office and asked if I would be willing to uh, speak on the, um, the grief, the pain uh, of trials because of an issue that I recently went through, which I'll share a little bit more about in a few minutes. But just so you know, we're, we're kind of, we, we kind of know what's going on. We, we realize that we're... <laughs> Not supposed to go backwards in the Bible, but whatever. So 1 Timothy um, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, In this, and by this, you know, it's uh, in light of the fact that we have a new life in Christ, we have a future inheritance that could never spoil or fade. In this fact, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come, these trials have come, so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Trials and the subsequent suffering that come through them are something that every one of us deals with in life. It doesn't matter if you're a follower of Christ this morning or not. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not. It doesn't matter if you're a God-fearer or a God-hater. It doesn't matter. You will experience grief through trials in your life. We live in a broken world, after all. So it's important, as people who have, are presently, or will go through trials in our life, that we understand what God is telling us through this letter that Peter wrote about trials specifically. So as we begin, I just want to define our terms. I always think that's a good idea. Since we're going to invest our time talking about them this morning, let's be clear on exactly what a trial is so we're on the same page. The word in the Greek carries um, the meaning of submitting someone to thorough and extensive testing in order to learn their nature or character. I'll say that again. 
The word means to submit someone to thorough and extensive testing in order to learn their nature or character. In the Bible, the Greek word is translated several different ways. It's translated, obviously, trials, like Peter uses here. It's translated as tests um, and also sometimes as temptation. Jesus was tested on occasions, the same word, by the religious leaders of his day in Matthew. The Israelites were tested in the wilderness. Paul experienced trials as he planted churches throughout Asia Minor. Job was tested. Abraham was tested on Mount Moriah when he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac. In other words, trials and tests are commonplace in the Bible. God doesn't shield his people from tests, from tough times. He allows us to experience them, and we'll see why as we continue um, looking at these verses. So by way of definition this morning, uh, trials are any life circumstance that God uses to test and refine our faith in him. The recipients of Peter's letter were suffering trials that were specific to persecution they were experiencing as a direct result of their faith in Christ. Peter's writing to Christians scattered throughout first century Asia Minor, which is uh, our modern-day Turkey. He was writing to Christian slaves who were suffering under the harsh and unfair treatment of their masters. He was writing to Christians who were undergoing abuse from pagans because they refused to take part in the sinful and out-of-control living of the world in which they lived at the time. And as Pastor Ray has pointed out, Peter's audience also included those who would eventually be put to death under the order of Emperor Nero. But I want you to know that trials aren't necessarily limited to overt persecution because of our relationship with Christ. Trials can take a lot of different forms. They can be losing a job, losing a loved one, losing our health, or any drastic life change that forces us to choose between putting our faith in God or our faith in our own strength and resources. So, what, what does it, um, what, what should we know about trials? Number one, Peter says that they refine and they prove our faith in God. And while we're on, um, you know, about defining our terms, let me just make it clear what faith is. Faith means your complete trust, your reliance on, and your confidence in God. Peter says that these trials have come so that our faith of worth greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. And this word's really important. It means in the Greek something that's been tested in battle. That's important because I think it's really easy for us to say, I trust God. I trust, I'm confident in his ability to provide for me. When life is going great, it's easy. When there's food in the refrigerator and when the car in the driveway is running, when the furnace works in a winter like this, when the bills are paid, when everybody in our family is healthy, when our job is secure, yeah, I trust God. Sure. I know he's able to provide for me. Absolutely. I mean, our our money says in God we trust But what about when our faith is put to the test? Will it then be proven genuine? 
Don't miss out on the fact that Peter says our faith is more precious than refined gold. This isn't him making a subjective statement here. This is objective truth of God. This is God giving us the privilege of his perspective. It's like he's saying, hey, you guys really want to know what's of true value? It's genuine faith that's been proven through the crucible of life's trials. That's what God values. And that's what we should too. But our world esteems the money in God we trust is printed on. Our world loves the wealth and the prestige that refined gold can bring. Gold will perish, but faith will last. Gold brings glory to men. Faith brings glory to God. If man refines gold through the furnace, why wouldn't God refine our faith if it's way more valuable to him than gold? Now, we can spend weeks talking about um, the different uh, or the value of faith as, it, as it's shown in God's word. But, but for um, the sake of time, I just want to point out two reasons why God's word says that faith, refined faith, is so important to him. And the first is this. Our very relationship with God is predicated upon it. You and I, if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, we wouldn't even have a relationship with God if it weren't for faith. It would be non-existent. It would be impossible to have a relationship with God without it. The Bible says that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this, the faith, is not, even, is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Later in the same letter, Paul says, In Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So the first reason that, that God uh, values faith so highly is because without it, we, we can't even have a relationship with him. And secondly, God values faith so highly because our faith in him enables us to trust him during life's trials. When my kids were young, we, uh, my wife and I would bring them to um, the local pool, you know, the, the park district pool. And this winter has been nasty, right? It's been long, it's been cold, it's been snowy. And so just in case you forgot what it looks like, you know, the summer, there you go. We'll get there again someday. Don't worry. But we would take our kids, right? And these pools have zero depth to them, you know, so they have areas where little kids can sit and, and splash around and play and stuff without fear of drowning because it's so shallow. You know, and we would enjoy watching them do that. But occasionally we would then take them to the, the other pool, the deeper pool. And obviously it wasn't too deep because I wouldn't be able to go in it, you know, obviously. But, you know, deep, you know I, I would be able to stand like chest deep in there and, and I would take, you know, one of my kids and I'd put them on the edge with their little swimmies around their arms and stuff facing me in the water. And then, I mean, you guys have probably done this right at a pool. You back up a few feet and you go like this and you go, jump! And you see their little minds spinning, right? Because even at that age, they know that water's over my head. And I can't swim. And if dad lets me go, I'm going to fill my lungs with chlorinated water. That's not a good thing, you know? And, and, but, 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 you know, even though the little minds are swimming, they go ahead and jump. And what do you do as a parent? You don't go, ha, 
sucker, you know? Psych, you know, you don't do that. You, you catch them, you know what I mean? Why? Because as a parent, you want your kid to trust you. Now, you know you have the physical ability to, to catch them. You know you have the will to catch them. And you even know that your kid probably understands that. But until they jump and are caught in your arms, it's not experienced. Now, jumping off the edge of a pool into the arms of your dad or mom in a, in a, you know, on a beautiful summer day is not, it's not a trial. The point is, is that God allows trials in our lives in order to refine our faith because he is trustworthy and we need to know that if we're followers of Christ. If we are going to follow him in obedience with our lives, we need to know we can trust him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a litany of the times that he suffered because of the various trials in his life as he followed God. If you've never read it, jot it down. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 27. It's amazing. Paul wrote um, that he had been in prison, been flogged severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times, he says, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Paul says, I spent a night and a day in in the open sea. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles. Paul says he's been in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. He says, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known, Paul says, the hunger, I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. His trials, all that he just mentioned, refined his faith and enabled him to say toward the end of his life, and I love this verse, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have trusted to him until that day. He wrote this to his young friend Timothy while Paul was in prison waiting for his fate, basically, which would ultimately end in his execution. Though he was at the end of his life, he could say with all the confidence in the world to Timothy, I know who I believe in. I know it. And I know he's able to keep what I've entrusted to him until the day I see him face to face. And there's no shortcut. That kind of faith only comes through the fire of trials. God loves that kind of faith. He wants that For all of us, there's just no way to get there through an easy, pain-free life. Later on in that same letter to Timothy, Paul says, At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Paul's faith in God didn't waver at the end of his life because God proved himself trustworthy again and again through his life. Here's another truth that Peter wants us to know about trials. Yes, they do refine our faith. But secondly, they're temporary. 
Peter tells us that the trials only last for a little while. The Greek word refers to that which is small or few. In the New Testament, the word is used by the Apostle Paul when he instructed Timothy to drink a little wine because of your stomach and frequent illnesses. Now, I've been in youth ministry for a lot of years, and, you know, through my years in youth ministry, when I know that somebody's struggling, one of the students, you know, teen, I'd text them a a verse, or I'd shoot them a verse through email or whatever. I've never sent a teen this verse. (laughs) Thanks, yeah, I was wise, huh? Yeah. Jesus used this uh, word um, when he taught the crowds by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He got into Peter's boat and asked that he push off a little from the shore. Not too far, not miles out, just a little, so Jesus wouldn't be so crowded and so everyone around him could hear what he had to say. This past fall, I was, um, actually past summer, I was training for a, um, what's called an obstacle race, um, in the fall, it was, it was supposed to be on November 2nd. If you're not familiar with obstacle races, you're, you're smart, <laughs> frankly. Um, obstacle races are, uh, they, you know, you have a start and you have a finish, but in between them, you have a lot of obstacles you have to overcome. You have to climb a wall or drag a weight or whatever as you sprint toward the finish line. Um, sounds like fun, right? Yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, man, you're weird. And I am. Um, but I enjoy that kind of stuff. So I w- I've been training really hard for this race. And um, through the training, I developed this cough. And I- I've been prone to, like, sinus infections and stuff. So I went to the doctor, and I'm like, you know, asked if I can get put on antibiotics because I didn't want a full-blown sinus infection during this race, you know. And so uh, knowing my history, he prescribed the antibiotics. Didn't work, didn't touch it. I still had this cough. I couldn't shake. And so I called him back, and he put me on another round. He said, look, if you're not better in a few days, call me. We'll do a chest x-ray, and then I want you to come in for follow-up. So that's exactly what happened, you know. So I, I was on the second round. It wasn't working. So I went in for a chest x-ray. And then my follow-up was November 2nd in the morning, the very day of the race. Um, and when I went in there, he, uh, he, he put the stethoscope up here, and then here, and then here, and then uh, his demeanor changed, his like, <laughs> expression changed, his tone of voice. All, all, all of a sudden, he got really serious, and he said, how, how long have you had a murmur, Glenn? And I, I had no clue what a murmur was at that point, and I'm like, I didn't know I had one. And uh, he said, I, I need to do some more tests right now. And he did some more tests in the office, and he goes, uh, you're, not, you're not running that race today. And I'm like, okay. And he said, and I, want, I want to send you to the hospital right now uh, for, for more tests. So when I got to the hospital, you know, they did more tests. They admitted me, and, and, uh, <laughs> and the, the emergency room doctor came into my room. I, I probably won't forget this for the rest of my life. And she said, she started telling me what they found. So you have a, a, a faulty valve in your heart, and you're going to need open-heart surgery. I remember thinking, like, what? Like, an hour ago, I was planning to drive up to Milwaukee to do this race, and now, like, boy, this isn't how I planned my day. And she's like, well, you know, nobody plans on being in the emergency room. And I'm like, that's a good point, yeah. Uh, So, you know, the... So I had the surgery early December. It went fine, you know. I'm I'm on my way to recovery, hopefully. Um, but I share that because in, in the scope of my life, maybe this little heart issue 
maybe will last a year from the time of the first, uh, you know, signs that something was wrong until they diagnosed it, until surgery, until full recovery. Maybe a year. Maybe. That's nothing. Even in, in the scope of my life here on earth, that's a, that's a speed bump. That's a blip on the radar screen. So it would be really easy for me to stand here and say, hey, whatever you're going through, don't worry about it. It'll just be a little while. But I know for a fact that that's not true of a lot of you that are here. In fact, I don't even have to go past the bedroom across the hallway from my own to understand the weight of a lifelong trial. My son, uh, Calvin, uh, was born almost 12 years ago, and I remember it like yesterday. I remember holding this little guy, you know, just minutes after he was born, all red in the face from screaming, you know, crying and stuff. And, and I'm holding him, and, and I did what probably a lot of parents do. You know, I put both of my index fingers out like this, you know, so he could, like, grab hold with his little hands. And I remember him grabbing hold of my left index finger with his little right hand. And I, I remember being a little puzzled that he didn't grab my right index finger with his left hand. But there was a lot going on, right? And so I just kind of didn't think much of it. And um, we went our way. And, but eventually, uh, a few months later, uh, an MRI um, revealed that my son had suffered a stroke in utero before he was born. So the infarct, or the, the dead part, is on his right side of the brain, which affects his left, you know? And, um, but growing up as a little baby, you know, or infant or toddler, he really couldn't tell a whole lot, you know. If you saw him, you wouldn't really know. Um, but my wife and I knew that the day was coming when it would become more and more blatant. And he has always been incredibly resourceful, always. Um, he, he amazes me, frankly. Like some of the things that you and I like take, take for granted, like no big deal, tying our shoes, buttoning our shirt, zipping our coat up, whatever. That's super, super hard for him. Um, and it's tough sometimes to watch him like struggle to tie his shoe. Um, but about three weeks ago, you know, my wife and I have been noticing lately he's been struggling a little bit because uh, he's in middle school now. And, you know, if you remember middle school years, they can be brutal. Like, middle schoolers can be brutal to each other, even if there's, like, nothing really that you struggle with. But um, if you do, it could be worse. So we've noticed him just struggling lately. And um, I think both my wife and I kind of in the back of our mind, had an idea of what this might be that he's been kind of dealing with lately. But it all came out a few weeks ago. I had the most um, honest, heart-to-heart conversation with my son that I've ever had in his entire life um, because he just, he just lost it. He just started to weep. And... Um, and it all came out, you know. He's like, uh, I don't understand why God wouldn't just heal me. I, I know he can. Why wouldn't he just take this away? 
And even Calvin has acknowledged like, that God has used it in his life because you know, we've always noticed that he's always had a, a, a soft spot in his heart um, for people um, with disabilities or challenges or even um, those who come to his school from a different country and have language barriers. Um, Calvin's always been the kid that, that befriends them, sits with them at lunch or whatever, you know, when, when most other people would ignore him. And I remember he was crying. He said, Dad, even if God healed me, I would still love them. I would still reach out to them. I'd still befriend them, you know. And um, that's a difficult conversation to have, as you can imagine. I bring that up, the story about Calvin, because um, he represents what a lot of, of people in this congregation are going through. He represents something that, barring a miracle, is going to prove to be a lifelong trial. I know that. I could say that with all the confidence in the world because I have friends here. I'm just going to list what I have friends that are dealing with right now, and you probably do too, in this congregation. Lifelong trials like diabetes, cancer, ALS, Crohn's, MS, Alzheimer's, the trials of losing a spouse, losing a child, losing a parent. Those aren't one year in duration. Those are lifelong. So as I sat, you know, looking at my son as tears were coming down his face, um, and as I thought about, like, what do I say here as I talk about trials? What words do I have as a father um, telling his son who is hurting so bad? What words do I have that would, that would ease his pain, that would encourage him? What words do I have for you who are going through lifelong trials? God has them right here. They're, they're two words. Little while. Little while. I could say it from the heart issue. Yeah, in, in, in my little lifetime, sure, a little while. It's easy. But what about all the other things? A little while, still. God says it to me. He says it to you, regardless of what you're going through. The trick is, or the key, is seeing our lives from God's perspective, not our own. Seeing time from God's perspective, not our own. This is what the Bible says. Don't forget one thing. This one thing, dear friends, Peter said this. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years are like a day. The Apostle James goes so far as to say that our life here on earth is like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Even our life, even if we lasted 90, 100, 110, 115 years, God's saying, you're just a mist. You're that span of time? That's nothing. That's nothing. Keep eternity in mind. Paul says our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. The Apostle Paul uses the imagery in this uh, verse uh, of a scale. 
to help us better gain God's perspective. So if you can picture, you know, a scale with two, the old-fashioned kind, you know, with two plates on each side. On one side of the scale, we have our trials and subsequent grief that are caused by those trials. Those are real. And here's what I love about God's word. I love the honesty and the rawness of it, especially in instances like this. God is not condescending. He is not blowing off your pain. He's acknowledging the fact that when you go through trials, you are suffering grief. He's saying if you put that on a scale, it's going to move the scale. And that's good to know about our Heavenly Father. He knows. He knows what you're going through. However, when weighed against the eternal glory that awaits those who choose to place their faith in God, there's no comparison. In God's economy, with his perspective, we see that our trials are light and truly momentary. It would be like placing a piece of balsa wood on one end of the scale. You know balsa wood, that really light stuff that you make those little planes out of? Put that on the scale, it's going to move it a little bit. But then you pick up a big old boulder and you drop it on the other one. Bang! That represents the eternal glory that awaits us. So in fact, in this letter to the church in Rome, in his letter to the church in Rome, Paul refers to his trials and he says, look, I consider that our present sufferings aren't even worthy to compare with the glory that will be revealed in us. Which brings us to our final truth regarding trials. Trials refine our faith and they're temporary, all right, but they also result in praise and glory and in honor when Christ is revealed. Now, I've read this verse, I don't know, a lot of times, um, and every time I read it, I always thought it was pointed in one direction. It was always God-directed, like, you know what I mean? Like, when we see God, our faith in Him um, is going to result in praise, glory, and honor to Him. But as I studied this passage, I was kind of surprised to find out that commentators say that the language um, most likely means it's kind of two ways. The praise and honor and glory which genuine faith will secure when Christ returns will, from one standpoint, given to the true believers by the approving Lord. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around, frankly. Like seeing Christ face to face at the end of our lives and receiving approval from him because we chose to allow him to use trials in our life to strengthen, to refine our faith, to test it, to prove it genuine, tested in battle, real faith. Wow. To me, it's like enough just to see him, but to hear him say, well done. That's something altogether different. And then, of course, it's going to, from another standpoint, the praise, the honor, and glory is going to be given to the Lord himself, who is thus openly shown to have been worthy of trust by both the devotion and the experience of those who trusted him. The suffering we experience due to trials, we find our faith, they're temporary in light of eternity. They'll result in praise, glory, and honor on the day we see Christ face to face. You know, my prayer is that if you are in the middle of it right now, 
these words will be encouraging to you. Will help you to keep your eyes focused on your heavenly Father because he's trustworthy. Let's pray together. I am thankful, Father, that I can stand here with all the confidence in the world and say that you are worthy of our trust. I have seen you in my life show yourself true, even through little trials. Father, for those here this morning, this afternoon, who are experiencing bigger stuff, stuff that really they don't see an end to, God, I pray that for them, you would encourage them. You would draw their eyes to you. You would like instill in them uh, just a, a renewed faith. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. James said um, to count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And he said, let endurance um, have its way so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's pray. Father, as your church leaves um, this building, I ask that that scripture would would stick in our minds that we would through faith in you knowing that you're trustworthy count it joy when we experience trials because we know that through them you are doing a work that only you can do and God we pray that we would that our faith would prove genuine as a result It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you are going through anything, we'd love people to pray for you. We have uh, members of our prayer team that will be down here that would um, be more than happy to pray for you. Have an awesome day, guys.